Good. Thank you very much. Thanks again for your welcome as ever. Your warm, a warm welcome. It's always good to come here. Actually, um, it is a warm welcome because when I left Bridgewater this morning, it was quite cold. So I put another layer on. I'm not sure whether to take it off or not, but anyway, I'll leave it on for the time being. I was here just uh, three or four weeks ago, and we were looking at living in a world of fear for Christians. And I want to continue with that and develop that thought a little bit more uh, this morning. Well, all today, actually, here this evening as well. And uh, I'm not going to go through all the areas of fear that there is in the world. You know this as well as I do. In fact, uh, since I was here last, the various events in the world make people even more fearful as to what's going on. Um, And yet, as we are living in this world, asking, what is God saying to us? And we've already asked that question and made that point this morning. We do need to hear what God is saying in such a time as this. And uh, I just um, gave last time uh, four areas where I think we've got to respond to that as Christians. I mean, I'm just talking as I observe what's going on in the Christian community. And I think there's been a tremendous big sea change since COVID. I'm not saying it's because of COVID, but that seemed to be the marking point. Certainly in my lifetime since the late 1940s, most of what we do as Christians in witnessing and in in reaching out to the world um, (coughs) is in the church. And people used to come into the church in great numbers, whether they were older people to our gospel services, to our crusades, and our rallies, and and so on, or whether it was younger people to our Sunday schools and our youth clubs, and so on. It was not just Christians that were in church. The world came in as well, and we welcomed them. It was lovely to see them, and they got saved, many of them. My own parents were in that number from before the war in, in, in London. But now we find that very, very few people come into our meetings. And it's harder and harder to organize, for the church to organize things like great crusades like we used to, and the sort of rallies and evangelistic events. It's wonderful when they do happen, and we're so grateful for camps with our young people. But it's almost a pale shadow of what we've had over 70-odd years. Uh, and uh, I'm not in any way decrying what we've got left here. We are church. Church is God's people gathered together around his name. Uh, and so we are being church. And we don't forsake the meeting of ourselves together. But uh, we haven't got the unsaved in in the numbers we had. And the big question is, how do we connect with people who are riddled with fear and finding the pressure of life so difficult. Again, it's wonderful when we do have various areas of activity, but I I think it's a much bigger problem. The world is so hurting. The fear is so great. The pressures of other philosophies and religions and thinking and humanism is taking people away so much that we're wondering, Lord, what are you saying to us? And yet, uh, and we'll have our reading in just a moment, but I'm very mindful of what the Lord said to the disciples on the Mount of Olives. Um, 
just before his ascension, where he says, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we still have that commission to be witnesses to God out there, where we live, where we have our daily lives, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our friendships, in our social life. And if they don't come in here, the unsaved, then we have to go out there and deal uh, uh, with, with them out there in terms of our great truths of the gospel. <clears throat> and so the onus, it seems to me, is now on us as individuals rather than collective organizing this, that, and the other events. We are still organizing things. It's lovely, and in no way am I criticizing that, but there is this added dimension. What am I doing for the Lord? What does the Lord want of me? And how can I be effective? How can I show that I am filled with the Holy Spirit? What I'd just like to do, and I think we have the reading, uh, is a few verses from Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, the first two verses, then we're going to look from verse 32. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, it may be uh, a pile of leaves, but sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then we have a long list of great men and women of God picking the narrative up at verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed false armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in desert and uh, deserts and mountains, and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us they be made perfect. Us as well. And it seems to me anyway, this is what's my heart. We're living in a day now where the Lord is saying, just don't try to organize evangelism in the way that you did continue to do with the work that God has put on our hearts but it's us as individuals going out so I want to go back to the first point I made of our responses last time uh, when I said it's now the fruits of the spirit the character of our and the quality of uh, of our own lives that's so important today I know we've ministered on this over the years of course we have 
to be more like Jesus because that's what the fruits of the Holy Spirit is. And Steve mentioned them just now uh, as we uh, thought about the fruits of the Spirit uh, and the character of Jesus, Christ's likeness. And uh, it's not going out saying, you know, well, what a good uh, child of God I am. It's not even realizing what God has given us by way of the power of the Holy Spirit, but just living our lives and something happens. Things are, 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 are done. Influence and authority uh, happens because Christ is in us. We're ambassadors for Jesus. We're moving in the Spirit and something, even if we don't realize it, is going on. People take note that we have been with God. And we don't need to ram it down their throats. It's just living the life in a power that perhaps we haven't had personally. So what I want to do this morning is look at two fruits of the Spirit. When I thought about carrying on today with that theme from a few weeks ago, I thought, how am I going to deal with all the fruits of the Spirit in just two meetings? Well, I'm not going to try. The Lord has laid two on my heart this morning, two that I've actually ministered on here, here before. But it's good to have some revision, uh, and, and not all of you would have been there. We're going to look at peace and humility, and that's this morning. And then last time, when I was looking at our responses, I finished up by saying and one response that we have is to tell the world about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's even been in our, particularly our opening hymn this morning. And we're going to look at that this evening. What the kingdom of Jesus is going to be like when he comes back. So this morning, looking at uh, two facets of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the character, the, uh, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit gradually forming something of the power of Jesus in our lives, that as we walk through the life, people know that we're different. And, uh, it's when Jesus in the upper room, just before his arrest, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Here's the antidote to fear. When we're talking to folk around us, they talk about, I don't know what's happening to the world. I fear for my grandchildren or even my children. And all sorts of fears come out. What's going to happen to the climate? What's going to happen to population explosion? What's going to happen with uh, artificial intelligence uh, uh, and the jobs and so on and so forth? What people are afraid of their own future and so on. And the Lord says, do not be afraid to us because I'm going to give you peace. So uh, as I say, I, I last dealt with this uh, two and a half years ago. And so forgive me if you remember the points, but it's so fundamental, it's a fruit of the Spirit, to be at peace. And the peace that Jesus talks about is not the sort of peace that other folk often mention when they say, oh, for a little bit of peace and quiet. And the thing is, you may say, yes, the kids have gone to school, people have gone to work, and now I can put my feet up and have a cup of coffee. And then the phone will go, or there'll be some knock on the door, or whatever, and there'll be very little peace. It's not that sort of peace that the Lord is talking about. What is this great inner peace that will take away any fear of what's going on in the world? And it's best described by one, the wonderful Hebrew word for peace, shalom. 
Sounds beautiful, doesn't it? It's a lovely sounding word. And it's not peace based on external circumstances. It's not a peace that waits until everything is in, in the right place. They're all lined up. <laughs> That'll never happen. It's an internal completeness. It's a wholeness. It's a, a, a holistic state of heart and mind within. Peace. That whatever is going on, we can be at peace. Like Paul in the shipwreck. So I, we're all going to be saved. Yeah, everything's under control. 14 days that storm went on. And to be able to say, yes, we've got that deep, deep inner peace that's been given to us. We haven't worked it out. We haven't worked it up. It's been gifted by the Lord Jesus, and it passes all understanding, Paul says. So to understand Shalom a little bit more, we need to look at how we lose peace, how we lose Shalom, how we can lose that sense of inner wholeness uh, and, and completeness. What takes away from Shalom is barriers. Uh, and I'm going to mention three areas of barriers that can take away our peace. Uh, horizontal barriers between us and God. And vertical barriers between us and other people. And then circular barriers within our own hearts that we're not at peace with ourselves. And I just want to look at each of those three for a moment to see whether we really are enjoying the peace that the Lord says, I will give you. It's part of the fruits of the Spirit. It's part of the Christ-likeness. And it's so important, I found, if we want to be Jesus as we walk through this world, then we've got to be in that state of peace. So first of all, that peace between us and God. I wonder if you're at peace with God this morning. You know, the world isn't at peace with God. A lot of people just don't even believe in God. Uh, they, they, they've, they've avoided the issue. And, uh, and I've said this before, but when people say to me, I don't believe in God, I say, no, it's not a question of not believing in God. It's a question of not wanting to believe in God. But why you don't believe in a, a, a higher power, if you want to put it into everyday words, and, and if, you don't, if you're not prepared to realize that there is something far greater behind the whole of creation, the whole of the universe, the whole of the mathematics that's, uh, it, uh, that the universe embraces, the whole of the purpose of life, the whole of the origin of life. If you don't believe there's something more, then you've got a barrier because you can't find the answers and there are no answers. You need to be at peace with the... We, we call him God, why not? Who is the origin of space and time and energy and matter and the whole of creation. Otherwise, there's no other explanation. And we found God. Oh, that sounds a little bit presumptuous, but <laughs> he found us. And he did so through the one that came to this world 2,000 years ago and walked this world. The Word, and the word Word, Logos, means the one who is the origin of all life. In him was life. That life was the light of men. Nothing that has been created was created without him. The Word, the very intrinsic nature of existence and being, the Word was made flesh. And when Jesus walked this scene, 
we saw the man who is the author of every atom, every molecule, every particle, Jesus. He's the one that created it. And not only that, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us he's the one that sustains it, keeps it all going, keeps it in motion, Jesus. And here he took that great step. You've seen me, he said to his uh, followers. You've seen the Father God. I and my Father are one. I've come here to do God's will, to reveal to you what it is all about, why there is matter, why there is creation rather than nothing at all. It's because of me. And now I'm going to do something for you which you can never do for yourself. Because you've rejected God. Because you don't want him. And you don't want to listen to him. You don't want to acknowledge him. And you think that you can get by on your own, human being. Then I'm going to do something for you you can never do for yourself. I'm going to bring about the total forgiveness of all your pride, of all your violence, of everything you've done to besmirch your Creator's will for you. And then on the cross, our Savior died. The one whose hands flung stars into space. I'm not sure it was hands, I think it was his words. But anyway, and he was on the cross. And in accepting Jesus, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth, believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's who gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. And as we put our trust in Jesus, we have peace with God. Dear friend, this morning, you're at peace with God. You're at peace with your Maker. Are you ready to meet him without fear? Then it's, in th it's through Jesus that we can have peace with God. But you know, even as Christians, sometimes we can lose the peace with God and put up a barrier between us and God. I wonder if there's some, some dear Christian friend this morning. You're not very happy with God. He doesn't seem to be answering your prayers. He doesn't seem to be meeting, moving the pile of leaves. He doesn't seem to be taking the interest in you, you think he should. And uh, we, we, we don't always agree with what God wants us to do in life. We have barriers. And how often I've met Christians that say, well, I find it very difficult to pray. And I just don't seem to have that peace that I did because I'm not sure what God is saying to me. Dear friends, we can only come to that position, and I'm going to deal with this more in a moment when we look at humility. And uh, we say, thy will be done. And when we put that on board and believe it and act upon it, that barrier is removed. Lord, have your way. We've just read about some of these great men and women of God who made, the, who made tremendous impact in their days. That's the point that we're getting at. And it didn't always turn out good for them. But they did what God did. And they were at peace. And then the vertical barriers between us and other people, and we can never be fully at peace within our own hearts when we have issues with others. And oh, how much as Christians we need to put matters right. Is there somebody you need to apologize to? And it might not be just this week. It might have been years ago. We've got somebody that we've put up a barrier and we've done nothing to try to remove it with somebody else. Or somebody has tried to 
make things right with us and we've not accepted that. We've not forgiven. And we need to get rid of the barriers between us and other people because it was said of those early individual Christians. Look how they love one another. And if we really know the love of God because we have no barriers between us and God, it's shed abroad in our hearts and we just go out in love. And we hate it when there are any barriers between us and others. And we just want to be at absolute peace even if we have to eat humble pie and apologize and go and put matters right. But thirdly, we sometimes have a circular barrier within. We're just not at peace with ourselves. We're, we're, we're not at peace with our own skin. It may be a legacy from childhood where we felt rejected. We felt misunderstood. We felt left out. We felt that nobody cares. And very often as adults, we still bear the scars of what happened. And we're not blaming the Pope that might have been responsible. <coughs> we're just looking to the Lord. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. The past has gone. The new has come. David was one of the great examples in Scripture. And we can see from David's story that he was bitterly rejected as a child. Left out of the family gathering when Samuel came to town. They even had to go out and get him from looking after the sheep. Elder brothers ridiculing, uh, ridiculing him. You wicked boy, get back to your sheep. He says, oh, I think it's in Psalm 27, even if my mother and father reject me, I've got the Lord. That's the real origin of Psalm 23rd uh, Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd because I don't have anybody else. And he's the one that looks after me. And I've got nothing that I need more than that. And dear friends, if we have these legacies of fear, of rejection, of being left out, of being inadequate, of being hurt by life on even our own character, we take it to the Lord and we say with the words of the apostle, he loved me and gave himself for me. The Lord loves you just as you are. And get rid of the barrier about yourself. David had the difficulty in Psalm 139. He said, Lord, search me. Why am I still so filled with anxieties? And then he said, Lord, you've known me ever since I was born. Lord, I just want to have that wholeness, that peace. And if we're going to be really effective, this certainly is one of the fruits of the Spirit that we need in our lives. This peace that passes all understanding. This peace that can cope with every difficulty. This peace which will not allow any barrier between us and the Lord and his will or other people and will put matters right. And even if we can't put it right, we'll pray for them. And genuinely too. And peace with ourselves. That we're willing to accept ourselves as we are. Peace. And now I'm going to just share with you a few thoughts about humility. So another fruit of the Spirit is not in that list in, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, but it, it is a fruit of the Spirit, humility. And uh, I'm just going to read you a few verses from Philippians. You'll know it so well, and I have done this passage here before. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, 
if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And we'll never be effective out there in the world with the Lord. We'll never have that inner uh, 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 authority and power if we don't have that humility. And the Lord will make sure, if we ask him, that he brings about humility in our lives. And I can't uh, take the time this morning to tell you of some other personal things that I've gone through that has brought humility a little bit anyway to my own life. The Lord will make sure that we are humbled. He humbled the proud and brings us into that state of humility. And then he goes on, your attitude or your mind, as we'll have in our last hymn, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I love this passage. It says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And this is the verse, these are the words. But made himself nothing. Lord of the universe, the origin of all life of all the energy, of all power throughout the whole cosmos. He made himself nothing. And Paul says, that's the attitude you should have if you really want to be effective for the Lord in your life. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And of course, Paul goes on in that passage, and we love the following verses, but I'm not going to read them. You know them. And therefore, God has highly exalted him. So there is an exaltation when there's humility. But that's the Lord's exaltation that Paul talks about. But if you're using one of the modern translations, I'm using the NIV. After that lovely uh, exaltation, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They put a new paragraph, but the paragraph doesn't start there. Paul is actually mid-argument. And he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who made himself nothing. And he then goes on in verse 12, therefore, and uh, you know the old adage, if you find therefore in scripture, you ask what it's there for. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but oh, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean work it out on a, on a, on a piece of paper, on a spreadsheet, it means work it out in everyday living. Let this wonderful humility be a feature of your everyday life so that you do not present any barrier between the power of God reaching through you, even though you might not know it, to bless other people and to bring them peace in a world of fear and find their peace in Jesus. There's no blockage because you're... You, you've allowed God to work out that humility. Therefore, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Why did Jesus make himself nothing? Because he said, I always do what pleases the Father. I come to do his will. I delight in your will. 
It was God's will to bruise him. It was God's will to make him an offering for many. And Jesus put himself in that position of utter humility, of nothingness, to please the Father, our Father God. And Paul says, and therefore, follow him in the, le in the way of humility, making yourself nothing so that you are able for God to work through you according to his will, to act according to his good purpose. And the Lord wants us to be so humble about what we can do and who we are and what our rights are and what we want to achieve, that God can do something through us and we don't even realize it. Just like Jesus on the cross, total agony. Even the sun forbear to shine. What an eclipse. That was three hours. So that God could do his will of rescuing this world. And you along with it, dear friend. Who knows what God can do through us? People ask me, is there an end time revival? You're talking about being in the last days. Is God going to be, bring about a revival? My answer to that is always, well, I don't know. But I do know this. We're still here. We still have the Great Commission. We're still ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We're still the ones who are going to be his witnesses. And while we're still here, God can still work. But he's working differently now, it seems to me. He's not bringing in the crowds, the multitudes to our, uh, our meetings and crusades and rallies and all the rest of it. But we are going out freely to where they live, where they work, where they hope, where sometimes they die. And God has a will for us as individual Christians to be so humbled under God's mighty hand that God can do great things with us, rooting through us with all those other fruits as well, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, generosity, and so on. And I think the Lord is saying to us, are you really the people that I can use in a fearful world? in a world that's hurting, in a world that's going round and round in circles, and under the surface they're so insecure that you have the answer to their insecurities. Peace with God. But it only works when I can work through you to will and to act according to my good purpose. I think the challenge is to us as individuals today to be like those people of whom the world was not worthy. Those people we read of in Hebrews chapter 11 that made their mark in their day. Young sung heroes, the ones sometimes we don't even know their names. But they were powerful because God made them powerful. Because they were available for him to work in and through their lives. And that's what Jesus has asked of you and me. Dear friends, we've just got to go and be Jesus in a lost world, in a fearful world, and bring other people to a recognition that God loves them. May you be blessed in your work and in your ministry and in your lives as you just see, seek to be the one through whom God can bring his mighty power in these days. The Lord bless you. We're going to sing in closing. It's in the book number 463. May the mind of Christ, my Savior, live in me from day to day.